Well, we have a special speaker here uh, today, and uh, he's no stranger to Coast Bible Church. Uh, Robin Wood is the executive director of Camp Allendale in Idlewild, a ministry that ministers to the least of these in Orange County, San Diego County, L.A. County, San Bernardino. They minister to children in the foster care system, those who have been abused, neglected, abandoned, and they bring kids up to their camp and share with them the love of Christ. And so it's our honor to hear from Robin today. He's going to bring a message from the Word and share just a a bit about Camp Allendale. He asked me how long he had today, and normally I give him a time, but today, Robin, I'm going to give you something else. When you smell the In-N-Out burgers being cooked outside in the parking lot, that's when we're done, okay? Does that sound good? Don't forget, we got In-N-Out right after this. So let's give a warm welcome to Mr. Robin Wood. Thank you. Well, thank you, and good morning. It's always a a great blessing for us to be here. We always say it's like coming home. Um, We don't know probably all of you, but we certainly have gotten to know many of you. But the reason this is home is because this is where we came when I first came to the Lord, and Karen still was searching and we and she came to the Lord through the discipleship of this church. And uh, we were baptized right there behind the screen about 35 years ago. Um, we were just kids back then. <laughs> but uh, I don't think there's too many people around that were still here then. Um, maybe the Eatons, but I didn't see them this morning, but I hope they're doing okay. Oh, hi. I'm sorry. I missed you earlier. Good. Good. I'm glad you're there. Well, I want to share with you this morning about a boy named Leroy. Uh, Leroy came to camp years ago in, in junior high, and Leroy was one of these boys that just knew how to cause trouble. And um, the very first day, it became evident that we were going to have issues with Leroy the entire week of camp. As a matter of fact, his behavior stood out so much that it overshadowed everybody at camp. And it became an issue for all of the counselors. And uh, and we started praying about this in our counselor prayer time uh, on Tuesday and and then again on Wednesday. And there were many prayers going on for, for him even between those prayer times. And through some circumstances, I ended up in Leroy's tent on Wednesday night. The counselor had to, he was sick and in the infirmary. So I ended up in Leroy's tent. And in our tents, there's no electricity, there's no power. You know, kids have flashlights, whatever, but it's dark. And, and we're in the tent and it's dark and, and, you know, have about 15, 20 minutes before uh, everybody's supposed to go to sleep. So the kids are just talking. And through the conversation, one of the, one of the boys starts talking about dogs and his pet dog, and one of the other boys starts crying. And it's like, you know, they're all asking, well, what's wrong with you and why are you crying? It turns out that a couple of weeks before camp, his dog had died. And so it was really sad for him. And so they're all trying to comfort him and talking about dogs and how great they are. And then Leroy, who's been the problem of the whole week, starts crying. And it's like everybody's like, Leroy, what's wrong? And he couldn't say. He was so tied up in this and so, you know, quiet. And then the crying, he was really embarrassed about it, but it's dark, so it's not so bad. But he wouldn't tell anybody for five, ten minutes. And all the boys are asking him, trying to comfort him, you know, did you have a dog that died? You know, another boy had a grandmother that had died during uh, the year, and he was really sad about that. Finally, it came out. Leroy's brother, that day was the anniversary a year before that his brother had been killed in a drive-by shooting. And that's what was tearing him up the entire week. And it came out that, that night, and the next day with his counselor, he ended up receiving the Lord. Now, I share that story with you because I think that that's... Uh, an example of what goes on in the lives of these kids, but in all of our lives. It's a spiritual battle for Leroy's life. And if, if it hadn't come out in some way, we would have never known. He would have just acted this way all through the week and then gone on home. And nothing would have changed. 
But through the prayers of the people that were praying for camp, through the prayers of the counselors, through everybody just hanging in there with him and continuing to love him and continuing to care about him, it broke down those barriers that happened in the, in the spiritual realm in his heart that opened him up. You know, and I'm, and I'm thinking here in Orange County, how obvious is it that there's a spiritual battle going on around us? I wonder if in our materialistic society, do we really realize how much of a spiritual battle there is? Sure, there's spiritual battles in other countries. You think of Ecuador and the problems that Murray has with trying to share the gospel and, and the believers in the church when they're only less than, what was it, one-tenth of one percent are the believers in that city. Or you think of the problems that Howard and Cheryl have trying to get into public schools. I mean, we all can think about those things and say, well, that's a spiritual battle. But what about all of us? What about all of you? What about the spiritual battles in your lives? It's a warfare that's going on around us, and I think that many of us are not aware of it. And even if we are aware of it, we aren't aware of what it looks like and and how it affects our lives. You know, and I think that that's what J.R. Tolkien was trying to display in The Lord of the Rings. I mean, you've probably seen those movies. Maybe you saw all of them. Maybe you saw one of them. But, you know, the idea was that there's this battle between good and evil. And they're trying to get this ring back to the, the, the place where it was formed. And Frodo is the guy who represents good. And then you've got Sauron and the evil that's trying to destroy it and destroy all of Middle Earth. Or you take C.S. Lewis and, and his Chronicles of Narnia, another example of a fantasy kind of world of Narnia, but the principle of the whole thing is about understanding the battle between good and evil. So you've got these, these children that represent the, uh, the sons and daughters of Eve or the good side, and then you've got the white witch who's on the evil side, and, and you've got this battle going on. Well, it's something that we can see in our in our minds and in our eyes to visualize um, something that's going on in the spiritual realm that we can't see. And I think it's important. I think it's something that can help us. And here's a clip to kind of give you a little piece of that. evil lurks. It can take any form. It can make your darkest dreams come true. It seeks to corrupt all goodness. To steal the light from this world. How do we stop it? You must break its spell. That sword you carry. There are six others. Have you seen them? Yes. The six laws. They pass through here. Indeed. Where are they headed? Where I sent them. Break the spell. You must follow the blue star to Ramandu's island. There the seven swords must be laid at Aslan's table. Only then can their true magical power be released. But beware. You are all about to be tested. Tested? Until you lay down the seventh sword, evil has the upper hand. It will do everything in its power to tempt you. Be strong. Don't fall to tempt. Defeat the darkness out there. You must defeat the darkness inside yourself. Well, this is the the newest film from the the Chronicles of Narnia, but it's all like that. It's all about trying to see 
a battle that's going on that represents good and evil, and it's something that goes on inside of us. I mean, you, you noticed what he said. You gotta, in order to fight the evil that's outside, you've got to fight what's on the inside. Isn't that the truth? You know, we've got this battle going on in us, and there's a battle going on outside of us as well. And, you know, we live in a world that, that denies God. There's no heaven. There's no earth. But at the same time, we've got a youth culture that's crazy about spiritual things. They're delving into all this stuff, but they don't know what the truth is. They don't know where the real battle is or what the spiritual battle really is. But we know, at least we should know, we have God's word to tell us about it. We have God's word to tell us how to fight the battle, what the battle is, how to recognize it, what to do about it. We have all of that. But how is our spiritual strength? How is our understanding of what we need to do when those battles come and how we can fight the fight and, and stay on top to have a victory in these battles? My goal this morning is to help you to see that and to recognize it and to do more with it, to, to be an active part of it. Not that there's, you know, the devil's not hiding behind every rock, because he isn't our, own en- our only enemy. But yet we kind of dismiss that and, and we think, well, you know, people say, well, the devil made me do it. Well, that's kind of silly because there's lots of other factors in our lives that cause us to do things. We can't blame everything on the devil. And, and this whole thing just kind of goes, goes on and so we kind of start to dismiss the whole fact that there is a spiritual battle. For 31 years, we've been working with abused children. And I'll tell you, we see the spiritual battle in their lives in every single child that comes to camp. They live right here in Orange County. They live right here among you. And they're being physically abused and sexually abused and being used as slaves. I mean, you talk about a battle, and then the battle is when they come to camp is to be able to break down the barriers of all of that stuff that's happened in their lives and for them to receive Christ. So we see that spiritual battle. It's really real to us. But I think outside of camp and outside of the things that, uh, that we see, I think that my perception of the spiritual battle would be a lot less. I wouldn't realize it. I wouldn't recognize it as much. And that's what I'm hoping to convey to you this morning, is that it not only is real, that it's, that it's going on all the time, 24-7. There's no break in it. And we need to be prepared for it. Steve was one of the first abused children that ever came to camp. And Steve said that he was a soldier in Satan's army until he got saved. I mean, we heard this from him later when he was older. David had a little demon in his life. And he, it was a playmate, someone that he would hang out with. And, but his demon was not able to come to camp. He had to stay across the street up on a hill. But that went on for years, we found out from David, and it wasn't until the demon, the, the playmate, he didn't know it was a demon, showed himself for who he really was. And David got saved, and that was the end of that. Angela uh, was raised in a home where there was satanic abuse going on in her life. And she says, I was 14 when I first came to camp. I was very shy and withdrawn. I didn't talk too much to anyone except my counselor. The games were fun. I really enjoyed the singing and the Bible stories. Many of the songs that Karen sang had a lot to do with forgiving and learning to love again and giving your pains and anger and hurt to God. I accepted the Lord the first time I came to camp. The first time. Isn't that amazing? That those, those barriers and all the hurt and all the, the, the battle that had gone on in her life was able to be broken down. Well, that's just three children out of the over 3,000 children that have been to camp. And, and they all are part of this spiritual battle and what has to happen for them to come to Christ. Let me give you another example. After about the first 10 years of camp, 
we thought we understood and saw a pattern on what happened in the kids' lives when they came to camp. And so we would start to use it and to teach the counselors how to be prepared and what to expect when they came to camp. Thursday night was the breakthrough night. Kids would come on Monday and through the, the Bible studies and the Bible stories and the singing and having these really counselors that really focused on them and spent time with them and loved them, after four days, it seemed like that was the day. I mean, just generally, not everyone was the same, but generally speaking, that's what would happen. So we would tell the counselors what to expect when you come to camp. The Thursday night was the big breakthrough night. Well, after about 10 years of camp, we started having churches pray for the children. We would print up cards that just had the names of each child on it, and every counselor and every junior counselor was an individual card. We'd send them to the churches, and then they would pass them out to people to pray the week before camp and the week of camp. So for two weeks, they would pray. And at first, we only had a small number of churches doing this, three or four or maybe five. But then we started to see a change. It wasn't a Thursday night anymore. It was Wednesday night. And so I'll go, well, that's great. So let's get some more churches to pray. So we started talking about this and promoting it, and more churches started to pray. We're passing out the prayer cards to more churches. Pretty soon it's Tuesday night. And it's like, wow, Lord, this is great. Well, then we have a counselor starting to tell us that the campers are coming to Christ on Monday night. And I'm thinking... I don't know if I believe this. So I started sitting with some of the kids uh, for breakfast who had received Christ on Monday night and to find out what's going on because I was suspicious about that. You know, are the counselors being a little too, uh, you know, um, aggressive or something? Well, I'd sit with children and talk to them and just say, well, you know, what happened last week and what brought you to receiving Christ this quickly? And, you know, the stories were totally different, but they were all the same. Something had happened in their life the week before that had prepared them. Somebody took them to a harvest crusade. They went to a home visit with a grandma who's a believer. Uh, I can't tell you how many children have said that somebody came back from camp that they lived with two or three weeks before. And that child shared their own faith with them. And that brought them to camp prepared. We began to see that this spiritual battle that we're fighting in all these kids' lives were being fought the week before they ever came to camp by all the people that were praying for them. You know, interceding and preparing their hearts so when they came to camp, they were ready. So, I mean, that's how it could be on a Monday. And then, of course, the counselors were, were jazzed because now they have the whole week to disciple these kids. Because it's really sad when they receive Christ on Friday night or Thursday night and then they have Friday to spend with them and then they go home. So, again, I share that to say this is a, we've seen this over and over and, and we're passing out those prayer cards here. I, I forget who's doing it, but I know they're coming here and you're praying for those kids. And I want you to know how vital that prayer is. You are doing battle for these children so that they can receive Christ. And uh, I can't tell you how important that is. It is the most important thing that we can do, that you can do. And it's in some ways, I won't say it's better than being a counselor, but the two things together and all the other components is what really changes these kids' lives. We have 50 churches praying for the children. We divide them up because it's two weeks. So 25 churches are praying for all the campers and counselors for two weeks and then another 25 churches are praying for the other half as we're doing camp every single week during the summer. Boy, I'm dry. <laughs> so why is prayer so effective? Well, that's easy, isn't it? It's a spiritual battle, and prayer is one of the tools, one of the weapons that God has given us to fight the battle. So let me do that right now. Father God, we're blessed to, uh, to be here, to, to look into your word, to learn about this spiritual battle, Lord, and to learn what to do about it. And I would pray, Lord, that in this short time that I have, that the things that I share from your word would really touch the, the lives and the hearts of those here this morning, Lord. Would you use it in a way that, that helps each one 
to see what to do and, and to recognize what's going on in our lives. So, Lord, would you use this time, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a battle going on. Who's our enemy? Well, we have three of them. Right? There they are. <laughs> it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Basically, those are our three enemies. Those are the three fronts that we're fighting this battle on. It's not just the devil. There's something going on inside of us that's a battle. And not only is it going on inside of us, it's going on all around us in the world that we live in. So let me start with the world. What does that look like? What is the battle? What are we fighting? If you look at 1 John 2, 15 to 17, and, and it's going to be up here. You can look it up, but you can see it right here. Right? Okay. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of simple man, sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So the world is defined in these verses as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. We live in a world that's really messed up. We live in a world that's turning away from God more and more and more. You all see it. We're, we're not, you're not blind, I'm sure. The more that you're trying to live this, this way, the more that you must understand how the world is taking us completely the opposite way. And, and we really shouldn't be surprised. What, what should we expect? What was the world like even when Jesus walked on the earth? I mean, the world was not living, you know, according to God's word, then or now or any time in between. So we all think that things are way worse than they've ever been. I, I don't know that that's true. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah weren't very great places. <laughs> so uh, I don't know that things have really changed. But we're living now. We didn't live then. This is the world we live in. So we have to deal with it. So how can we have victory over the world? What, what is it we need? What's the tools that God has given us to, to do battle and to fight against the world? And in 1 John 5, uh, 4 through 5, it tells us, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is, that, who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's faith. It's, it's the faith that brings us to Christ. It's the faith that helps us to live according to what he has taught us. There's a great example in, in the book of Joshua, chapter 6, in the Battle of Jericho. Everybody knows about the Battle of Jericho, right? But think about it. They go into the Promised Land. The first place they come to is Jericho, and there's going to be these battles going on to take over the Promised Land. It isn't a place that's just sitting there ready for, for the Israelites to just walk into and sit down and live. No, they've got to take the land. Well, what do they do with Jericho? Do they go up to Jericho and have a battle and fight? Well, you all know, of course not. You know, Jericho is this great, big, huge, walled city. And so when they come to Jericho, God tells them to just march around the city and then go back to the camp. So they march around the city and they, you know, they, they blow their horns and they do all those things. And then they go back to their camp. Well, they do that for seven days. Not a lot of fighting going on. Nobody's using their weapons, you know. But how would you feel if that was you? You know, I mean, it, it took faith for them to believe that what God had told them to do was going to amount to anything. So what happens after seven days? Then on the seventh day, God says, well, march around seven times. Oh, boy. I mean, if you're a soldier in the army and you're just marching around, you might think, well, what in the world is this going to do? Well, they had to have faith to keep doing this. And, of course, after the seven times they marched around the city, the walls fall down and there's the victory. But who fought the battle? God did. 
And it took faith on their part to do what God had said. So, we have victory in faith. And you know, I experienced it in my own life, I'm sure just as you do. Simple things. You know, we were in the market a few years ago for an SUV. And um, so I'm looking at SUVs. I'm getting on the Internet and looking at Auto Trader and all that stuff. And then I start noticing all these SUVs on the road. And I'm thinking, oh, man, there's some really nice, really nice SUVs out there. I mean, they're really nice. And, and I can't afford anything that's more than, you know, probably 10 years old. So I'm looking at all these new ones. And, man, I'm getting, it's just, it's just building up in my heart. I am jealous. I'm coveting people's SUVs as they're driving down the road. I'm going, what's going on, Lord? I can't be doing this. So it took the faith to trust that God was going to provide for what we needed, when we needed it, and to just let that whole thing go. But it was a battle for a while. Just a simple thing like just looking for a car. But the world says that we need to have the best car on the road. We need to have the nicest looking thing that's out there. You can't be driving around in a 10-year-old SUV. Well, I do. <laughs> but, you know, that's, it's that battle that we have that the world is telling us this is how we have to live. And we don't. Well, the, thing, the other the next thing that we have to battle, the next part of this spiritual battle that's going on is the flesh. You know, the, ref, the flesh refers to our capacity and disposition to put our own self-interest before God's. In short, the flesh is an internal resistance to obeying God. Romans 7, 18-25 I know that nothing good lives in me. This is Paul, by the way. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do, No, the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Have you ever said that about yourself? I have. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Well, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. You know, we live with ourselves 24-7, right? Can you ever get away from yourself? I mean, even when you're sleeping, you can't get away from yourself. And sometimes your dreams are not the greatest. I mean, I know mine aren't. So we just live with ourselves all the time. We've got this, this sinful nature in us, no matter what else is true. I mean, if we know Christ and we live in Christ, we still have this nature until the Lord comes back or we go to be with Him. And thank God for that. <laughs> but how do we gain victory over the flesh? How do we gain victory over this thing that's inside of us that we're battling with all the time? It feels like we're going this way and we're going that way. We're being jerked around. Our emotions are here. Our emotions are there. Our actions aren't what we want them to be. How do we get victory over that? Well, in Romans 8, 1 and 2 gives us some examples. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. This is the verse right after what I read in Romans. Um, this, the section just before is the end of chapter 7. This is the very next verse that Paul writes. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not living the law. It's not following the law of Moses. It's living by the the life that Christ gives us. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. 
And in Galatians 5.16, it tells us, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's the key. It's living by the Spirit. It's, it's having the Spirit in our life, which comes when we accept Christ, and He's living in us. Are we listening to what He's saying? Are we even asking the Lord, saying, Spirit of God in me, what should I be doing in this situation? What should I be doing in this, this battle going on inside of me? It's not just trying to keep rules. Have you tried to keep rules? I did for a long time. I was raised Catholic. I went to the seminary to become a Catholic priest. I spent five years in a seminary. And, you, and I got so tied up in the law, so tied up in trying to act right and do right, Oh, man, when I came to Christ, it was like, it was more than a breath of fresh air. It was like I'd never breathed before, and I finally got a breath because it was so freeing. Trying to keep rules and laws, I don't know about you, but I can't do it. And so I was failing all the time. I spent more time in the confessional than anybody. You know, if you know anything about the Catholic Church, you know, that whole thing. But it set me free because now the Spirit lives in me and He is the one that's helping me and showing me and teaching me and prompting me. But I still fail. Do you? I hope so. I hope it's not just me. Which is why I put in 1 John 1.9 because it's another part of the key. It's not only living by the Spirit, but what happens when we sin? We've lost our fellowship with God. We've turned away from Him. We said, Lord, I want to do it my way. You were in the driver's seat, but now nah, I'm going to do it my way, so I'll move over. And now I'm driving. Well, in order to bring things back into the right place, in order to put Jesus back in the driver's seat, I need to confess. I need to say to him, Lord, this is wrong, and I'm sorry for it, and I'm going to turn away from it. So we have 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to remember that. If we just kind of say, oh, oh that wasn't very good. You know, I, I messed up. No, I didn't mess up. I sinned. We need to call it what it is and admit to it and then confess it and ask for his forgiveness. In chapter 7 in Joshua, after the battle of Jericho, the Israelites were going up against a, a city called Ai. And uh, so they sent out some spies, and they looked at the city, and it wasn't too big, and they didn't have a lot of men. So they, they decided they were only going to send 3,000 men to fight the battle at Ai. Well, they lost. They lost big time. So then it's like, well, what happened? You know, what, what was wrong? Well, as it turns out, that in the previous battle at Jericho, there were certain things they were supposed to do and not supposed to do, and there were certain items that were going to be special that they were supposed to collect. Well, one of the guys in that battle had taken some of those items for himself. And he took them to his tent and he buried them in the ground. Well, that was the reason for them losing the battle. There was sin in the camp and God wanted it dealt with. So they lost the battle. Well, how did they ever figure out who this guy was? Well, you can read the story, but what it comes down to is the Spirit of God leading Joshua to this one person out of the whole camp. Who's the guy? And sure enough, they found the guy. You know, the whole camp confessed their sin, which was really his, but still it represents the sin of the flesh. It was him desiring something and wanting it and taking it because he wanted to do it his way, not God's way. Isn't that what we do all the time when we're sinning? We're doing it our way not God's way. And so it takes the Holy Spirit to bring that out, like in this battle or in this situation, the Holy Spirit brought it out, uh, that there was sin in the camp, it needed to be found out, it needed to be confessed, and then they went on ahead to win the battle. Well, I don't know about you, but I have those battles too, in me. I struggle with anger. Um... You can, uh, Karen can attest to that. She says, I get gruff, and I get this really harsh look on my face, and, and I, my voice goes up, and, you know, I, I want to be calm and patient and, and cool about things that I get upset about, but 
You know, I feel like Paul. You know, I want to do that, but what I do isn't that. <laughs> it doesn't look like that. It doesn't sound like that. So I'm, I struggle with that, and that's my flesh. It's wanting to do it my way. And, and many times, whatever the issue is I'm angry about is usually something that was, wasn't done my way. And, uh, gosh, what is that? I think it's called pride. But I struggle with that, and, uh, and thank God that I can confess that and, and know that the Lord forgives me of it, and I can walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit and, and let Him lead and guide me, hopefully so that someday I will get a victory over my anger. I want to say that it's better now than it used to be, but you could probably ask Karen. That would probably be a better judge. She'd be a better judge of that than me. Lastly, we have the devil, Satan. So we have three different places where we're fighting this battle. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil. So in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We have an enemy. He's going around like a roaring lion looking for those he wants to devour. We need to understand not only who he is and what he is, but we need to remember that he has already lost. Jesus has already won this battle over Satan. And that happened at the cross and at the resurrection. But at the same time, he's still real. And he's still out there and he's still trying to destroy us, even though his days are limited. But right now, he's out there. And not just him, but all of those angels that rebelled against God with him. And there's a battle going on. You don't need to see a movie to see it, but sometimes it helps us to visualize when we do see a, a movie or anything else that helps us to realize that there's a battle going on that we can't see, we can't touch. We can see maybe the results like we're talking about with these kids at camp, but do we recognize this battle? Do we know when we're in it? Do we understand when we're being attacked? And then what do we do about it? Well, there's victory over the devil in Ephesians 6, uh, verses 11 to, th to 13. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So it's clear that we're fighting a battle against all of these evil things that are listed here. It's all part of Satan's realm. It's all part of his, his deal. Therefore, put on the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Well, again, if you're not convinced, if you're not sure about this, this spiritual realm, this spiritual battle about what's going on, then you need to read the story of Daniel in chapter 10. Daniel prays and asks God for a request. And then there's no answer. And finally, 20 days later, an angel comes to him with the answer to his prayer. And the angel says to him that he was dispatched to come to Daniel with the answer to his prayer the day that he prayed. Probably the moment that he prayed, but certainly right away he was dispatched. But it took him 20 days to get there. Well, I don't know. Is it that far from heaven to earth that it takes 20 days? I doubt it. I mean, I think it would be like that in the spiritual realm. But it took him 20 days. And so the angel says, the reason it took me 20 days is I was doing battle against the prince of Persia. And the prince of Persia is the satanic representation of, of Satan and the, one of the names that's given to him. And he said, I had to have Michael, the archangel, come and help me. This battle was so strong that it took him to come and help me so that I could get to you. Well, if we don't 
listen to that story and think, that's just not a story. This isn't just something that happened in Daniel's life how many thousands of years ago. No, it's for us to understand that when we pray or when we struggle or whatever it is that's going on, that there is a spiritual battle going on, and especially when it comes to prayer. How many of you have prayed for people in your family to get saved? And here it is 15 and 20 and 30 years later and they're still not saved? Have you stopped praying? Have you? I mean, maybe it's your children who you're praying for because they're not walking with the Lord. Don't give up. It's a battle. And we're doing battle. We're, we're in the battle when we're praying. Well, uh, the best example I can give you from my life is Karen's and my marriage. We are opposites. I mean, on every face, everything that you can think of, we are opposites. I mean, not just men and women. You know, if you know anything about social style, she's an otter and I'm a beaver. Well, that's a, on a scale, you know, I'm up here and she's down here on that scale. We're complete opposites. And um, so everything we talk about, she sees it one way and I see it the other. I mean, she talks about it one way and I talk about it the other. I mean, our communication many times is like that. And, you know, we work with it. We've been working with it for how many years now? Forty-one years? And, and we're still together. But it is... It is the place where Satan can attack us the most. And I'll tell you, it almost always happens just before something like this. Or when we're going to share about camp, when we're doing a training, or just about anything that was you know, important um, is when it happens. And this summer, I'm especially concerned, although we are way better at this than we used to be, because we have lots of people praying for us, and we realize what's going on, before it happens. But this summer, we've lost one of our directors, uh, the couple. And so Karen and I are going to be leading camps this summer. But we haven't led camps in like four years, which isn't like we forgot. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of um, stress. Uh, it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. And, and we're not young anymore, as you probably can see. And so... Um, that's going to be the place where we are concerned about where Satan can attack us, both in our energy and in our health. And, and then just, like I said, everything that we do, we do oppositely. So if I say go here, she thinks I said go there. And so she goes there. And I go, why did you go there? Because you told me to. You know, it's, so, you know, we, we laugh about it and we can laugh about it now. But in the middle of it, when there's tense stuff going on at camp and something needs to happen and it doesn't happen, it's like, and I'm the guy leading the program, you know, well, you can see the picture. Um, it doesn't always go smoothly. And in years ago, when we were younger, by the end of the summer, Karen wanted me to go away for a month. <laughs> and that was usually when we would go on vacation. So you can imagine how that went. Uh, fortunately, we usually had more than a week, so it took about a week to get back together. <laughs> but, you know... The devil is real. Satan is a real person, a, a, a real entity, whatever you want to call him, but he's real. He was an angel that rebelled against God. So, I mean, we can't take God's word and say, well, that's not right. That's not real. This, this guy, this whole thing about Satan is just, you know, not for real. So we have weapons. We have a defense. We can have victory over the devil. And um, thank God for that. So what are our weapons? Let's look at those. Let's talk about them. Ephesians 6, 14 to 18. And this is really appropriate because this is our theme for summer camp this summer. It's spiritual warfare. We're teaching the campers about the armor of God. And um, so in Ephesians 6, 14 to 18, it says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. For all the saints. So, truth. What's the truth? 
Where do we find truth? It's in God's Word, isn't it? No matter what the world says, no matter what people say, what truth is, there's only one source. But do you trust it? Do you believe in it? Do you, do you believe it's God's Word? It's inspired from Him? I mean, that's where the battle is many times, is that people don't believe His Word. And, and of course, our, even our Christian world today is, is dismissing the, the Word of God and uh, sidetracking it. So do we believe in it today? Do we know what truth is? Do we know where to find it? What about righteousness? How do we live a righteous life? Well, it's living by the Spirit. Letting the Spirit control our life and confessing our sin when we sin and staying close to God, not letting our sin drive us away from Him. We can live a righteous life. That's the, the armor, the, the protection that God has given us. What about peace? Having our shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. Are you at peace with God? Are you confident of your salvation? Because that's what we need to be. To be able to fight in this battle, we need to know that we are God's children and that we, are, uh, we have all the tools that we need. He's given it to us. We need to be, have that peace, that, that confidence. What about faith? Do you have faith? Are you trusting in God to stand firm when those fiery arrows are shot at you? Can you stand or do you find yourself faltering and falling back and, and even running away? Spiritually speaking, do you find yourself doing that? Are you trusting in God's ideas or your own? What about salvation? Are you living like you're a child of God? God's Word shows us and tells us how to live as His children. But sometimes we lose confidence in that or we have doubts about that. So we have a helmet of salvation to protect our thoughts so that we don't doubt. Do you know your position in Christ? You came to Christ and your position is now that you are one of His. But are you living in that now? Are you confident of your future? All three of those things need to be in place for us to be able to stand when the battle comes. And then there's the Word of God, the sword. We need to be experts at sword fighting. <laughs> Are we? You know, if you're only doing this once in a while, then I would say that your sword fighting is going to be pretty weak. You know, are we feeding on the, on the Word of God so that our spiritual life is healthy? Are we getting a good dose of this for spiritual food? great to come to church on Sunday. It's great to hear messages like, like Neil preaches and others, but it's not enough. We've got to be doing it on our own too. It's got to be ours. It's got to be something we own, not just something we hear. And then prayer. How is your prayer life? As I said earlier, have you given up on some of your prayers? Have you given up on some of those people that you've been praying for? Do you find that your prayers are only for yourself? Or are you praying for others? Are you doing, doing battle for them? Are you standing in the gap? Well, let me summarize here and bring this to a close. But there's a spiritual battle going on around us. I hope you can see it. You can, you can recognize it even though you can't see it. But you can see it in here and in here, in your mind. If we pretend... That, we don't, that it's not going on, then we're just going to be devastated. We need to be prepared with knowledge and understanding that comes from the Word of God. The battle has three fronts, the world, the flesh, and the devil, but we can have victory over all three of those if we do what God has given us to do. You can do it. We can do it. All of us can do it. There's no excuse to say, the devil made me do it. I mean, that's just ridiculous. That's us letting things happen. We can live the, mis mis the victorious life. And um, I think that's what God wants us to do. I think that's what he's asked me to share with you this morning is just my thoughts about that. And I, and I hope it can help. I hope it can spur you on to looking into the Word some more. I mean, there's no way you can go into all the depth of the stuff that we just talked about. You need to go look at it. That's why 
there was a handout. I, I think it got passed out. The verses are there. And the stories are there and the places to read. You know, do this on your own uh, this next week and, and see what God says to you and puts on your heart. And for us, you know, I, I know Neil asked all of the missionaries here how you can pray for them. For us, you can pray for three things. I hope it's all right if I give you three. <laughs> uh, we need counselors. Uh, we have uh, 12 um, Twelve counselors we need for each program. I'm stuck to this cord. Um, we need 100, over 100 counselors for this summer. Volunteers. That's a lot of people. And in this day and age, it seems that there's a lot more resistance, battle, going on to prevent people from coming to camp. So pray for that, that we would have all the counselors we need to have one counselor for every two children. That's the goal. And that's what camp really works well with. Uh, secondly, please pray for us that we would have the energy and all that we need to be able to lead camps this summer. We're not doing the whole summer. We're doing four of the nine sessions. And Mike and Lisa, our, our other camp director couple, is doing five. So, um, and they're every other week, so we get a break. Also, please pray for uh, Matt and Tara. Matt and Tara are a couple that has already agreed to come on our staff, but they are in the process of raising their support. And without giving you a lot of details, they're just in a spiritual battle in a whole lot of ways, and it's become really difficult for them. And so we don't even know when they're going to be able to come and join us. Uh, but they can't until they raise their support. So please pray for that. So those three things are our prayer requests. Um, let me close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you've revealed to us the, the battles that we need to fight, the battles that are going on around us, the, the, the avenues and the, and the places where this battle is going on, that it's the world of flesh and the devil. And Lord, that you've given us what we need. You've given us in your word what we need to be able to stand firm, to fight these battles and to not be overcome. We thank you for that, Lord, and we want to ask that you would help us to learn even more, to be more aware of what's going on around us and that we are actually um, living in awareness and using the, the tools you've given us uh, to live a life that's victorious, that we would be living for you and, um, and not letting sin set us aside, that we can't be effective. So in every way, Lord, we pray that you would um, use these, these verses and these stories to bless and to guide. In Jesus' name.